One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be on the winnowing barley. He will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, No one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Thank you, readers. So the poor widows, Naomi and Ruth, have returned to Bethlehem. Here's our map that shows them uh, going originally from Bethlehem to Moab, and now they've retraced their steps and made it back to Bethlehem. They have survived by the labor of Ruth gleaning. It's hard work. And the generosity of Boaz allowing her to glean. And now the barley harvest is over. That was late April. And wheat harvest is over. That's uh, late May, early June. And Naomi says to Ruth, I have got a plan for you. I want you to propose to Boaz. Yes, propose marriage. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. I know don't before you react, I I know that you're an outsider. 
You're from Moab. You have no real standing here in Israel. I know that you're just a servant in his field. You're basically a migrant farm worker, and he's some lofty, you know, man of the community. I, uh, to state the obvious, I know that you're a woman, and women don't propose in our culture, but this is what I want you to do. Get yourself dressed up, take a bath, anoint yourself, and go down to the threshing floor. You know where it is? And after everybody's done eating and drinking, notice where Boaz lies down, give him some time to fall asleep, and then uncover his feet. And Ruth gives her a look like, what? Uncover? Yes, 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 my daughter, uncover his feet. You see, you see, um, the foot is a symbol of authority, like wherever the sole of your foot treads, you will occupy that ground. You know, put the, your foot on someone's neck. Well, he'll, he'll understand. He'll understand what you're, that you're asking to be under his protection. Oh, 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 this is good. This is good. Ask him to uh, spread the fringe of his garment over you. Yeah, the wings of his garment. Exactly. Uh, Ruth, uh, this is my plan for you. I'm seeking rest and security. I love you, daughter-in-law, like a daughter to me. Now, may I explain a couple of things? We'll go back to the story in a minute. Let me explain a couple of things that are going on here because this text is a narrative and it's a story and the original readers understood some things that were going on. You and I need to uh, understand these things. One of them is called the Law of Leveret Marriage. You can read about it in uh, Deuteronomy 25. And the idea is that if a man marries a woman right? But then the man dies, and they don't have any children, no male heir, so he's died without any male heirs, which is the situation with Ruth. You remember? She was married for 10 years and had no kids. The law of leveret marriage there in Deuteronomy 25 says that the man's brother, so her brother-in-law, is to marry her, and then the first male child that they have would actually be considered the, the, the brother, the, the first husband's child. He would inherit his property and have the family name and so forth. This was for the security of the widow and so that the property would stay in that corner of the clan and not be dispersed. And so all of that is going on behind Naomi's plan Go ask Boaz to marry you. He'll understand what's going on. Second thing to understand is what we call the law of redemption or the goel. The Hebrew word is goel. You can read about it in uh, uh, Leviticus 25. The idea is that if an Israelite fell into poverty and so had to sell off uh, his property, or even perhaps sell himself into slavery, then the closest relative, the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, was to redeem that person, save that, buy that person back, so they didn't have to be a slave. 
And so this law of the Goel is also sort of interwoven into our story because Boaz was a close relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And now Naomi's in uh, dire straits and she might have to sell off the property and maybe even go into slavery. And so she says to Ruth, Boaz is our Goel. Go, go talk to him. Go uh, spread the fringe of your garment over me. Protect us. So that's going on. So Ruth took a bath put on some perfume, got all dressed up. I don't know how many dresses she had. They were really poor, but she put off her uh, widow garments, her mourning garments, and she dressed uh, irregular and uh, indicating, you know, non-verbally, my period of mourning is over. I am available for marriage. And she sneaks down to the threshing floor. It is dark. There's a fire down here at one end, and there's some oil lamps pouring basically smoke. Can't really see a whole lot. But everybody's in high spirits. There's a a lyre playing, fring, fring, and there's a sound of a flute. And everybody's happy because the harvest is in. They can can survive the, 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 the winter And it's a big festival. It takes hours until finally things kind of die down. And folks kind of wrap up in their outer garments, their their cloaks, and they lay down to sleep right there at the threshing floor because they don't want anyone stealing this. This is their livelihood. Okay, 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 okay. Where's Boaz? Okay, okay. He lays down and he's out like a light. And she sneaks over, uncovers his feet, and curls up like a cat at his feet. And around midnight, you know how thoughts slowly make their way into your consciousness. Around midnight, he's kind of cold and, what's going on? Wait, somebody's here. Hey, it's a woman. Who are you? And quickly, lest he get the wrong idea, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Uh, Spread the wing of your garment over your servant because you are our Goel. And Boaz looks at her. He He knows what she's proposing. And he says, I will do it. I will redeem you. I will rescue you. And not just you, but Naomi. Poor old Naomi. Childless, destitute. She's old. Yes, I will. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a catch. Because there's a a Goel, a kinsman redeemer, who's actually closer, you know, more directly related to to Elimelech. So listen. Um, Listen, you, you just stay here tonight. And I'm going to talk to the guy tomorrow. And if he will redeem you, okay, good. If he'll marry you, okay, good. And if he doesn't, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So she curls up again. I doubt if she fell asleep. I doubt if he slept the rest of the night. 
And then before the sun even rises, while it's still dark, he says, Psst, hey, bring, put, your, put your, your cloak out here. And he shovels in six, see, four, five, six scoops of barley. It's pretty heavy, probably weighs about 30 pounds, and he kind of lugs it on her shoulder. And he says, uh, now take this to Naomi. She came back here to Bethlehem empty, but I'm going to see that she is full. So Ruth scurries off, lugging the grain. She returns to Naomi, and Naomi says, how did it go? Oh, look, look at this, all this grain. Look what, look what he gave you. Oh, my, oh, my. Don't fear. He is indicating his willingness and his determination to take care of us. He, this man is a man, and he will not rest until this issue is settled tomorrow. And the curtain falls on Act 3, just as the sun is rising. Come back next week for the final act in our drama. And in our final moments, may I suggest to you a couple of principles, a principle about God that we learn from this story, and a principle about us in light of God. Here's the first principle. God is present, imminent. That's a good word. He is sovereign. He is in charge. God's presence oozes from every chapter and drips from every verse. But his presence is subtle. Ruth, the story of Ruth, is about the domestic and the ordinary, not the national and the miraculous. Nevertheless, God is directing the events. He is present, imminent, and sovereign. Perhaps you've seen a large uh, dollhouse uh, this big, and the whole front of the dollhouse is actually taken off, or maybe the roof is taken off so you can reach into the dollhouse and put characters and rearrange the furniture. And God's presence in this story is like the unseen hand of a father who reaches into the doll's house and positions things and arranges things. And although he never appears overtly in the doll house or in the drama, he's in charge of everything. That's part of what this story is showing us. Just uh, think of chapter 1. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, wasn't that lucky? They just, you know, whoa, look, we arrived here just in time. The beginning of the barley harvest. This is great, Ruth. You can go glean in the fields, and you know, there's plenty of food to go around. Wow, <laughs> cool. That was lucky. Hmm. Chapter 2, verse 3. And when Ruth went to glean, she happened. King James Version, version says, perchance. <laughs> 
she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, that was lucky. She didn't really know anybody. She didn't really know what she was doing. And the fields back in that day were basically one big communal field. Everybody worked and helped out everyone else. They might have had like a stone marker or a pile of stones that indicate a boundary, my property, your property. But she happened to go to the part of the field that belongs to this kinsman redeemer. Wow, that worked out nice, didn't it? God is overseeing. He is imminent and present. What about chapter 3? We've just uh, heard the story of chapter 3. Naomi comes up with this wild plan for a Moabite woman, an outsider, a migrant farm worker to go to Big Boaz, the big man of the community. He's a noble person. And to propose to him, and it works. Well, that was lucky. I mean, he could have, you know, he could have said, get out of here. I've already given you so much food. He says, well, who do you think you are? Man, everything's working out just right. God is present in the domestic and the ordinary. And this principle is a great encouragement to me. To know that God is in my daily doings. We love it when God does miracles, but man, he's present on Sunday morning and Monday morning and Monday afternoon and Monday evening. This is what the story of Ruth is teaching us. One person calls this aspect of God's, you know, rescuing us and his saving us, calls it ongoing or continuing salvation, daily working it out. And it's what we see in Romans 8. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. This is the great God that we serve, imminent, present, sovereign, listening, like a great father, orchestrating all things. So you get accepted into that school. That's God. In school, you make this really, really neat relationship with a professor, and it becomes a sort of a mentoring relationship, and frankly, it changes your life. Well, wasn't that lucky? Because you applied to three other schools, and you went to this. Well, that worked out nice, didn't it? That's God in the domestic and the ordinary. Monday afternoon. Was it chance that you were accepted and made this cool relationship? Was it, was it good luck? Well, let's ask Ruth. Ruth, come here. Ruth, uh, how did that happen? Uh, he or she was accepted into that school. How did that happen? And Ruth says, well, 
<laughs> I'm not a theologian. Uh, look, but listen, I am here to testify that if you love God, and if you love your neighbor, just stand back and watch him work. Ruth, are you saying that we should just be passive? Ruth says, no, I'm not saying. Look, I was out in the fields gleaning. Man, it is hard work. I was, I was sweating. And Naomi came up with this crazy plan. But listen, listen, without God, all of our planning, it's like trying to hold water in your hands. Or let's say you're not accepted into that school. Could it be that God, who guides the future as he has the past, is imminent, present, saving you? Who knows what, we just have to speculate, who knows if you had gotten into that school, who knows, maybe you would have fallen in love with that person who does not have the noble character of Ruth and Boaz. You're born into such and such a family. That's God. You're created as as an individual, unique, with your own set of gifts. That's God. While you were in your mother's womb, he knit you together and fashioned you. You bump into so-and-so at Starbucks. You remember such-and-such, just in the nick of time. This is how he works. His ongoing salvation. Sometimes he does miracles. We love it when he does miracles. But more often, we experience God as Ruth and Naomi and Boaz did. And that is a great encouragement to me. This great God The second principle is really an outgrowth or an extension of this first principle about God. It's a principle about you and me, and it's this. God saves people through people. Look, in this story, Naomi is looking out for Ruth. And Ruth is looking out for Naomi. And Boaz is looking out for Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz even feels that Ruth is looking out for him because she could have gone after any of the younger men. He's an older gentleman. Everybody in town knew her by this point. They knew what a great lady she was. And he takes it as a personal kindness. And God is doing this ongoing salvation through people. When I was 37 years old, my father died. It was a great shock. It was unexpected. My dad was actually playing basketball when he died. But he had a massive heart attack. 
Liz and I were living, living in Portland, Oregon at that time. My dad was in Southern California. We, of course, went down there and just dealt with the just explosion of details. My brother and I have one brother. My brother and I planned the funeral and we conducted the funeral and we had to deal with all his bank accounts and insurance and all all these accounts and and then all his stuff, you know, all his furniture and, and everything. And it was a lot of work. And it was very sad. We were there for, was it a couple of weeks? It was at least a week and finally sort of, you know, got things settled, and we put everything that remained of his, his estate into a U-Haul truck, and Liz and our three-month-old son flew back to Portland, and I drove the truck from Southern California up the spine of California through the Siskiyou Mountains in Northern California into Southern Oregon and on up to Portland, Oregon. And I was feeling mighty low. And I remember driving down our street and pulling into our driveway And there were members of our small group there to greet me and help unload the truck. It was in the middle of the day. I don't even know how they found out of like the time for the, Liz must have called people and let them know, but I pulled into the driveway and I saw them And my spirit rose, and I thought, I am not alone. God uses people to save people. This is, this is normal for him. This is his regular pattern of how he gets his stuff done on earth. And so I ask you, who has helped you? Who has saved you? A parent? A coach? A teacher? A grandparent? A big brother? an ant. I am going to give us 30 seconds of silence for you to consider whom God has used to save you. I'll keep my eye on the clock. 30 seconds of silence. Now will you determine to be that person 
for someone else. For God to use you in this ongoing salvation. Is someone coming to your mind as I'm speaking the word of God? Someone who needs encouragement, a gospel witness, wisdom, physical help? God uses ordinary people to save people. And this principle is most profoundly true when it comes to the message of salvation. God used someone to preach the gospel to you. It might have been public, it might have been interpersonal, but someone communicated the gospel to you and he literally saved you through the message of a messenger. That's what 2 Corinthians tells us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. That's a good image, isn't it? Ambassadors for Christ. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so we conclude by my being a willing vessel for God to speak to you, are you reconciled to God? Is it possible? Is it possible that given this portrait of God that we're gleaning from the book of Ruth, imminent, sovereign, present, loving, watch care, like a father, is it possible then in ordinary time, Sunday morning, on a gray, cold morning, February, is it possible that he has brought you here this morning for a person, me, (laughs) to extend his message, be reconciled to God. Repent of your sin. Put all your hope of eternal life in him alone and enter into the joy of intimate fellowship with him. This is the God we serve. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being imminent and personal and present and guiding us and caring about us. And we thank you for the people